Well, if you will uh, open with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. Of course, we've been making our way through looking at key passages having to do with the various covenants that God made with his people at at various times from their smallest point when it was just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob one of their larger points when it was Israel as a nation redeemed from Egyptian slavery. And um, we looked uh, a few weeks ago at the specific covenant that he entered into with David, making a promise to David that one of his offspring would have an eternal kingdom, would rule on his throne. His throne would be established forever As we've been looking at these covenants, we've not only been looking at some of the promises and the features of these covenants, but we've been also trying to think through how they relate to one another. And uh, one of the things, if you remember from the covenant made with David, when we looked at uh, Psalm 72, was that the, the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant would bring about a fulfillment of the prior covenants as well. Well, there's something that's... uh, very similar, not um, exactly the same, but very similar uh, when we come to the New Covenant. And um, last week we we looked at Jeremiah 31 specifically and the promise of of the New Covenant that is given there, this, this internal work of God that he's going to do for his people. Something that we we found um, uh, reference or alluded to from that Deuteronomy passage that well, once God brings his people back from from exile he's going to circumcise their hearts and you have that sort of same idea that's being communicated in in the promise of Jeremiah 31 that they're going to be given a new heart that uh, that, the, that the law of God his his will is going to be uh, written upon their their hearts they're, they're finally going to have hearts that will obey him and, and love him. And uh, we find uh, the, the, these same sort of themes, in, in fact, some of the identical themes uh, being described uh, throughout the book of Ezekiel uh, as well. So I want to look, as, as we continue to look at um, the new covenant from the perspective of the old covenant, the Old Testament, And from the perspective of of the prophets and what was promised to come, tonight I want to look at Ezekiel. And we're not going to be able to look at all of the passages in Ezekiel that that speak or allude to the New Covenant. But I do want to look at four passages in particular, three of which speak about the New Covenant and and some of the things that is promised uh, to come in what Ezekiel calls the the covenant of peace. Um, But then we'll also look at a a passage from Ezekiel 16 where um, I I would argue the new covenant is not referenced there. What's being referenced is the the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenants. But what's said there gives us an idea of how the new covenant 
relates uh, to these prior covenants, and, and particularly, as, as we'll see, how the new covenant brings about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant uh, in particular. Um, so we'll look, as I said, we'll look at uh, four passages tonight, thinking through uh, the promises of the new covenant from Ezekiel. And uh, the, the first passage I'm going to look at comes from Ezekiel chapter 11, verses uh, 16 to 21. Now, we're basically going to be getting a triple dose today of, of Ezekiel. So, of course, uh, several of these passages were um, referenced and expounded upon this morning at, in uh, Sunday school. Um, uh, just providential timing. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, our, um, our Old Testament reading this morning um, uh, it came from Ezekiel 36. My, my thinking uh, in that one was just this, this promise that the Lord's going to cause his people to, to be obedient to him, which is what we see Peter talking about. It's the Lord who's working within us, granting us all things for, for godliness. It's his spirit that's uh, giving us a heart uh, to obey. And then, as I said, we'll, we'll look at these, uh, some of these same passages again this evening. Uh, so, first of all, Ezekiel chapter 11, verses uh, 16 uh, to 21. And uh, just uh, by way of giving a little bit of context here, um, in response to uh, God's judgments here, where uh, a, a wicked, one of, a, one of the wicked rulers who's mentioned in the beginning of chapter 11 uh, dies, Ezekiel asks the Lord this question. He, he asked him, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? And, and he asks this question out of a sort of a sense of alarm, like he's, he's worried here that, uh, that God is going to destroy every single person that belongs to Israel. And, uh, and here, when he asked this question, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel, Ezekiel's not referring to the remnant of Israel as, uh, as the righteous remnant. Right? Sometimes um, throughout the prophets, when they're talking about the remnant of Israel, it's kind of like that, that Israel within Israel, the true Israel, those, those Israelites who were obedient, were, were trusting in the Lord, uh, were not following the ways of, of the wicked in Israel. That's not how Ezekiel is using the language here when he's talking about the remnant of Israel. Here, uh, the remnant refers to the people uh, who were still left alive among Israel uh, through the Babylonian conquest. And so, so Ezekiel's wondering here, is, is all of Israel going to be destroyed? Is even this leftover tiny remnant of people that remains uh, after, I mean, honestly, years of nations coming against them, Assyrian Empire, Babylonian Empire, destroying them, taking them and into exile. Are they all going to be destroyed such that there is going to be no one left? The line of Israel is cut off. That's what's alarming him here. And to this question, God then responds. Um, there, there were also some uh, in Jerusalem at this time who were, who were saying that Israel uh, will never be fit to live in the land of Canaan again. And then, and then God says uh, to both of these 
um, sort of things that are being said and, and, and Ezekiel's uh, alarming question, he, he responds in Ezekiel 11, verse 16 uh, to 21. I want to read, uh, beginning there, picking up in verse 16, where it says, uh, Therefore, the Lord is speaking, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord. Now, the new covenant is not specifically mentioned here in terms of, you know, it's, it's named new covenant or, or covenant of, of peace. But uh, the covenant formula I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That, of course, is. Right? We, again, we, we looked at this last week. When you come across that language, that's the language of covenant. And, and that's what we find here. And so we're to understand this promise as a promise of the new covenant. The, the covenant that will be elaborated on even more in, in, in throughout the book. And here, uh, in this passage, God speaks of several things that he's going to do. First of all, in verses 16 to 18, they're going to be brought back from exile. They're going to be bought, brought back in uh, the land. And, uh, you know, there's a certain sense in which, of course, this, this reached a, uh, a fulfillment. Uh, at least a, a partial kind of fulfillment. They, they do come back in the land, but of course, if you remember from last week, it's not theirs, right? They're still uh, under the, the authority and the rule of foreigners, right? So, so they're in their land, but it's still a kind of foreign land because it doesn't belong to them. And, and you'll remember that when they, when they returned from the land, they, they still said we're slaves. We're slaves in our own land. So that there is a sense in which there is a, uh, there is a partial fulfillment of this, if you will, a, an already uh, kind of fulfillment to this when the Lord brings them uh, back historically after the Babylonian uh, exile. Um, uh, but I think as, as we understand how the, the Bible unfolds, uh, there's still a sense in which uh, that there's an even greater fulfillment to come. Um, we think in the whole, the whole terms of the, the grand scheme of, of the Bible and the, the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, uh, the, the heavenly Zion that comes down out of heaven onto the earth, I think that's where the ultimate fulfillment 
uh, is going to be, where the Lord is permanently in their midst forever. Uh, but that is one of the things that's promised here. He's going to bring his people back. They're going to be planted in the land again. We also see here another promise, verse 19. Uh, they're going to be given one heart. Again, he says, I will give them uh, one heart. They're, they're going to be united. They're going to be of, of one mind. Right? Uh, we, we, again, we, we heard this morning, this, this idea of unity. And, and of course, uh, when you think about um, the, apostle, uh, the, the Apostle Paul and in, in his writings, right, one of the common exhortations that you find throughout the New Testament to the church is what? Right? Be of one mind, right? to, to be united. Right? There's, a, there's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, right? this idea of unity. Um, th this is going to get expanded on and, and clarified a little bit more when we get to Ezekiel 37, but essentially the idea is one of unity, right? They're going to be together. They're, they're not going to be warring against each other anymore, right? Because you, you remember historically, right, you've got, the, you've got a civil war that had broken out. You had the, the kingdom that had been divided between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They did not like each other. That's not going to be the case, right? They'll be of one. Uh, one heart. Uh, he also says in verse 19 as well um, that they're going to have a, a new spirit and a, a new heart, right? And uh, of course, this, this new spirit here, it could be a reference um, to the actual spirit of the Lord that is placed within them that, that is spoken of in Ezekiel 36, but it could just also be um, sort of playing in the idea of having a, a new heart, right? There's going to be a new disposition about them. Something internally within them is going to have uh, changed. And it's going to change in such a way that it's going to make them be a people who want to be obedient to the Lord. Again, look at uh, verse 19 to, to 20 again. He says, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh right and, and, and remember here um, flesh we're not we're not thinking about flesh in the sense of uh, you know Paul's use of it in, in the book of Romans talking about like the fallen nature now, they, they have a, a a heart that doesn't live it's just like a rock it's hardened and now that they're given a heart of flesh it, it it's alive right they go from being dead to now being alive but then what, why does this happen? They're given a heart of flesh, verse 20, that, again, one of my favorite little phrases, right? That, so that, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Right? The, the only way that the people of God, that, that the people of Israel are going to be obedient to him is that they have a new heart that wants to be obedient uh, to him. That, that was their problem from the very beginning, and that is the problem that will be remedied once they return from exile. And so again, this, this, this has, um, re really all of these have a, a, a certain um, already not yet sense of, of fulfillment. Uh, there is certainly a sense in which uh, even the, the new heart, right, has, has been fulfilled when we're born again, 
right? We are given a, a new spirit. We're given the very spirit of God within us. We're given a new heart that longs to be obedient to the Lord, and yet it's not yet perfect, right? Uh, we still stumble. We're still falling. Uh, there's the battle with the old man. There's that war that's raging between the, the spirit and the flesh. So, so there's a certain sense in which this already takes place and this renewal is progressively happening within God's people um, even now. But of course it awaits an even greater fulfillment. Right? A day when the flesh is no more. Right? And, and obedience is perfect. Right? Um, so this is, this is one of the, the promises that is made here in Ezekiel 11. And again, some of these things that are stated here are going to be uh, expanded on in additional passages that we'll, we'll look at. Um, I want you to turn with me next to Ezekiel uh, 16. And um, we will read specifically from verses 59 uh, to 63. Now, um, Ezekiel 16, like I said uh, earlier, it's not about the new covenant per se, but it does give us insight into the relationship between the new covenant that's promised elsewhere, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37. Um, it gives us insight into the relationship between that new covenant and prior covenants, like the Abrahamic covenant and, uh, and even the Mosaic uh, covenant. Now, um, what's going on in Ezekiel 16 is that uh, this chapter basically tells the, uh, the long and shocking history of Israel uh, in a parable. And uh, in this parable, Jerusalem is portrayed as a woman, as an infant uh, woman to, to begin with with an infant girl. And, and as an infant, she has, she has Canaanite parents. She was born from an Amorite and a Hittite. And the Lord describes how when she was born, her parents abandoned her. They didn't care for her. They, they left her for dead. And the parable in the beginning of, of the chapter uses really just some, some graphic uh, imagery to describe the infant Israelite girl as being cast away at birth. She, she's left out in the open to die. I mean, it's, it's the, the imagery of um, ancient infanticide, right? Uh, you know, you wouldn't go to a, you know, a death clinic, the abortion clinic, you know, down the road and, and have an abortion through that. No, you would give birth to the child and then you'd leave it open in the elements. You'd, you'd abandon the baby, and it's, you know, it's just covered in its blood, and that's, that's what the Lord is describing Jerusalem as. She was, she, she came from these Canaanite parents, and she was abandoned. Nobody really cared about her uh, at all. But, but, but then the Lord heard her and saw her. He, he heard her crying. He, he sees her covered in filth, and, and he has pity honor and he takes her and he clothes her and he cleans her up and he nurses her back to health so that she would live he, he says to her live right and she she lives as the parable goes on he then describes how the young girl jerusalem she, she then grows 
up and she matures. She becomes a, a beautiful young woman. She's now of, of marriageable age. And the Lord desires her. He desires to marry her. He desires to enter into a covenant with her and to take her as his bride. And so that's what happened. The, the two get married. They enter into a covenant with each other and he adorns her with royal garments. And the Lord's, you know, there's all these descriptions in, in the chapter about how she was just well-dressed well and clothed with all these royal garments. And the Lord here, of course, is a king, and so she becomes his royal queen. But then the parable takes a turn, a turn for the worse. And the Lord's bride, Jerusalem, she turns into an unfaithful harlot. She's worse, in fact, than any harlot that there ever was. Everyone passes by her, and, and, and when they do, she, she gives herself to all of them. Right? Every, every suitor who comes near, she throws herself upon him. There's even this imagery here about how prostitutes will charge for their services. And, and in the case of Jerusalem, she was actually paying others for her services. As the parable continues, she's described as being even worse than her sister, Samaria, right? the, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. She's worse than Samaria. And we know from, from Israel's history all of the wickedness that, that they performed, right? All of the um, child sacrifice that they were involved in, the idolatry, just the constant cycle of evil among the kings. She's worse than them, the Lord says. And she's worse than her other sister, which is shocking, is Sodom. She's worse then Sodom, they both committed terrible abomination, Sodom and Samaria. But the Lord says that they did not commit half of what Jerusalem had done. Now, um, we have to be careful, of course, not to press the details of the parable too much, but it's probably the case that Jerusalem's early days as a Canaanite infant, where the Lord uh, rescues her. Uh, this is probably speaking of the days of Abraham, uh, when the Lord enters into a covenant with Abraham, when he's just a, a sojourner in the land of Canaan. And then when, when she matures and she grows up and the Lord marries her, this speaks of the Mosaic covenant and the marriage between the Lord and, and now the more mature people of Jerusalem, the, the nation of Israel. And it's possible that even the imagery of the royal garments that she's clothed with, uh, this, this probably alludes to the Davidic covenant that is then uh, made with her. So that this parable speaks about how God cared for the children of Abraham from from its earliest, from their earliest days until they become a great kingdom, and then it describes how they rebelled 
and just fell into this cycle of sin and chaos. And it's in the context of this rehashing of uh, Israel or Jerusalem in particular's history uh, that we come to our passage in Ezekiel 16, verses 59 to 63. And here we find a remarkable, uh, or, or several remarkable promises that are being made here. Of course, undeserved promises that are being made to this harlot Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem will be judged, uh, no doubt, that that is going to happen and has been happening. Uh, But the Lord promises here that she's not going to be utterly forsaken. That's just sort of an answer again to Ezekiel's earlier concern. Is the whole remnant going to be destroyed? No, that's not going to happen. The Lord is not going to utterly forsake her. God is going to do a marvelous work among her. And perhaps even more shocking, it's going to include a relationship with the nations. So let's let's read the text together. Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning in verse 59, uh, down to verse 63. It says, For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you, as you have done, um, excuse me, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Now, the Lord begins here by saying that he's going to deal with Jerusalem according to her deeds. And he refers to the fact that they broke the covenant. Here, first of all, referring to the Mosaic covenant. So so what he's saying is, I'm bringing the curses of the covenant upon you. The curses of the law are coming upon you because of your deeds. But then he makes a promise, still referring to the Mosaic Covenant here, he says that he will remember his covenant with them in the days of their youth, right, when when they were a young, marriageable bride, right, in the beginning of that parable, right, So, so again, another reference to that Mosaic Covenant, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth implying here that he's going to restore them. And of course, in the Mosaic Covenant, that is one of the things that God promised that he would do. That's why he's saying, I'm I'm going to remember this covenant. Particularly as we read earlier from the book of Deuteronomy um, in chapter 30, the Lord told them uh, that uh, that they would break his covenant 
that he would judge them and that he would scatter them among the nations, but he also promises in that covenant to restore them, and in the days that he restores them, he would circumcise their hearts so that they would love him. That's what the Lord is referencing here. I will remember the covenant with you in the days of your youth. The Lord says in Ezekiel that he's going to remember this covenant with them. But then he says, if you you read on, then he says, and I will establish for you or confirm for you, uh, uphold for you an eternal or an everlasting covenant. And, uh, And some here have interpreted this to refer to the new covenant. But the same language is used here as we find elsewhere in the Old Testament when the Lord says that he's going to uphold or confirm a covenant. Uh, you remember as we, as we looked at that, that language, there's a difference between cutting a covenant, which means there's a new covenant that's being made, and upholding or confirming one, which has to do with a prior covenant that's now uh, being fulfilled and, and kept and preserved. That's, that's the language that we find here. The Lord will uphold an everlasting covenant with them. And then further down in verse 62, he speaks of establishing, again, same language, establishing my covenant with you, upholding my covenant with you, implying that this covenant that he's speaking of here is a covenant that already exists. The Lord is going to establish his everlasting covenant, which most likely here refers to the Abrahamic covenant, which five times in the book of Genesis is called an everlasting covenant covenant. Moreover, it's likely that the Abrahamic covenant is in view, because as this passage continues, what we find is that the cities of Samaria and Sodom, the sisters of Jerusalem by virtue of their common vices, are now going to have a different family relationship with God's people. There's a um, there's a mixing of, of metaphors here, but the point is that the family dynamics between Jerusalem and the other nations, and, and here as examples, Samaria and, and Sodom, their relationship with each other is going to change. At one time, Jerusalem and other nations, like Samaria and Sodom, were sisters And again, they were sisters because of how they acted, because of their their lives. They were all Canaanites. They're all living like Canaanites. Jerusalem is just as much like the nations by virtue of her deeds. So at one time, Jerusalem and these other nations were sisters. But when God establishes this his his everlasting covenant, when he upholds his everlasting covenant, 
these nations will be given as daughters. Jerusalem will be a kind of parent to the nations. Before, she was an offspring of the nations. She's an offspring of the Canaanites. She was a child of of Canaanite parents. But in the future, the nations will be her offspring. The nations are going to be her daughters. There's a change of family dynamics here. Notice as well that the Lord says that this, this this change, this, this, this giving of them as daughters will not be on account of the covenant with you. Well, which covenant? Because we've been we see multiple covenants in this, this passage. There's a, there's a back and forth. So, so far, we've seen two covenants described here, the Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. And it switches back and forth throughout the passage. Verse 59, Jerusalem broke the covenant. They're referring to the Mosaic covenant. Verse 60, the Lord will remember the covenant of her youth that is the Mosaic covenant when she was a young bride of marriageable age and the Lord enters into a covenant with her. She broke that covenant. Verse 60, the Lord will uphold an everlasting covenant. There, the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 61, the nations will be given as daughters but not on account of the covenant with you. There, the Mosaic Covenant again. Verse 62, I will establish or uphold my covenant with you. Which, which covenant is being established? The Abrahamic Covenant. Right? He's, he's, he's upholding that Abrahamic Covenant here. The point is this. The nations will be given to Israel or, or Jerusalem not on the basis of the Mosaic Covenant, but on the basis of the Abrahamic Covenant. And of course, if we think about the things that we've seen about all of the covenants so far, this makes perfect sense. This is in line with the promises that we've seen. It was the Abrahamic Covenant that gave promises that the nations would be blessed in Abraham and that kings and queens would come from him, right? It was that covenant that was making those promises. And so the Lord is saying, in essence, when I fulfill my promises made in the Mosaic covenant about bringing you back from exile, I will then establish or uphold my covenant with Abraham and give to you the nations, Give to you Sodom and Samaria as your daughters. And as we're thinking about the new covenant as well, what this tells us is that the new covenant not only brings about these new spiritual realities for God's people, right? The, the new heart and the gift of, of the Holy Spirit. It not only, the new covenant not only brings about these spiritual realities within God's people, but in the making of the new covenant, 
the Abrahamic covenant is being established and fulfilled. Again, very similar to what we saw in the Davidic covenant, that when the Davidic covenant is fulfilled, so also will the Abrahamic covenant be fulfilled uh, because it will be through that Abrahamic offspring, that Davidic offspring, it will be through this anointed king that the nations are blessed. So you've got this this passage here, I think a very key passage that helps us to understand this this change that's going to take place between uh, uh, God's people of, of Jerusalem, the Israelites, and the nations, and this fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenants, which will ultimately come by the new covenant. Now this uh, then leads us to another important passage, of course, in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 uh, to 27. Ezekiel 36, and uh, verses 22 to 27. Now this passage has, a, of course, a very similar context to many of the other passages that are making promises about um, things that are to come for God's people. Uh, they're, they're in exile, and, uh, and they're wondering, right, is, is this going to last forever? Um, are, are we going to suffer punishment because of the sins of our fathers, right? Um, and, and, and to these questions, we, we, we come uh, to the promises that are given in Ezekiel 36, and we'll read beginning in verse 22 down to uh, verse 28. We read there, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord. Again, just just notice that. The nations will know there is a constant focus on the nations and their inclusion, not only in Ezekiel, but throughout the prophets, right? And so here, the nations will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle uh, clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Same promise as Ezekiel 11. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Again, that that covenant formula that is there. You shall be my people. I will be your God. Now, there's a few things that uh, I want to point out here briefly. Uh, One we we already touched on. This is in verse 23. is the fact that the nations are going to know Yahweh. They're going to know that Yahweh is God. They're going to know that he is truly the Lord. When when the Lord acts on behalf of his people, it's it's going to open up the eyes of the nations. And and again, there's a sense in which, you know, partially they 
they see this when the Israelites come back uh, from the land. But of course, the, the, the sort of the great moment when the Lord vindicates his holiness before the nations is in the work of Christ, right? Uh, the gospel goes forth now to the nations. The nations uh, see and, and hear this, this great work of redemption that the Lord has, has done uh, for them. And they, and they praise the Lord. They know that he is Yahweh. We find also in verse 25 this promise that uh, sin, uncleanness, is going to be cleansed by God. We touched on this a little bit last week, but you've, you've got sort of this priestly uh, idea here that you know, before a priest could serve in the presence of God, he had to be uh, sprinkled with, with, with clean water to make him ceremonially clean, to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and I think you've probably got a combination of both that idea as well as sort of the ideas of being sprinkled with blood uh, that cleanses from sin too, of course, which the book of Hebrews really expands upon. Uh, but basically, you've got this, this, this image here that they're not going to be unclean anymore. The Lord is going to cleanse them. They're not going to be idolaters. Verse 26, also a, another promise here, this new heart will be given to, him, uh, given to them. Again, the, the same thing that we saw in chapter 11. And then here, a, a, a new promise. Uh, verse 27, the Spirit of God will be given to people. And, and, and this will, will cause them to, to be obedient. Right? Again, it will be that Spirit that is at work within them uh, that, that transforms uh, their hearts to be obedient uh, to His Word. Um, now, um, if, if we had time, we could, we could get into John 3 and see how, how this sort of has a fulfillment in, in the work of, of Jesus as well. Because this, even as we saw this morning, this is the passage that Jesus is, is thinking about. He, he has in mind when he's speaking about the new birth, when he's speaking about being born of water and spirit. This is the only place in the Old Testament where you find the images of water and spirit together within the same passage. And you'll remember that Jesus rebuked Nicodemus for not understanding what he was talking about when he was talking about the birth of water and spirit, right? You're the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't know these things, Nicodemus, which, which tells us that the, the, the picture that Jesus is describing comes from the Old Testament, so Jesus is saying, you know, Nicodemus, when I'm speaking about the new birth to you, you obviously don't know your Bible well enough. Now, I think it, I could be a little sympathetic to Nicodemus and, and go, wow, well, that's a, that's a, that, that'd be quite the catch there. But I think it tells us how well Jesus knows his Bible and how well he expects us right, to know it as well. Uh, but, but basically, Jesus in John chapter 3 expands upon this, this promise here, and, and we find that it reaches its fulfillment in, in the new birth. One other passage I want to look at uh, briefly comes from Ezekiel 37, and uh, verses 15 uh, to 28, but we'll just read verse 24 to 28. Ezekiel 37 and verse 15 uh, to 28. First of all, in verse 15 to 28, Three, we, we find this vision of two sticks that is given. And, and one stick 
represents the southern kingdom of Judah, and then the other stick represents the uh, northern kingdom of Israel, or, or specifically, it's, it, it, it's referred to as Joseph or, or Ephraim. But it, the, these two sticks, this vision that Ezekiel is seeing, are, are these, these divided, the divided sticks of the kingdoms, right, of, of Israel and, and Judah. And, and one of the things that the Lord promises in verses 15 to 23 is that uh, when, the, when he brings his people back and, and he does these um, these works of, of the new covenant, one of the things he's going to do is he's, he's going to join the sticks together. Right? They're going to be united. They're going to have one heart. They're going to have one mind. Those two once divided kingdoms will become one. They will be united. And notice verse 22, they'll have one king. Verse 22, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. Of course, for, for much of their history, there were two kings. There's one in Samaria, leading all of the Israelites of the northern kingdom astray in their idolatry, there's another king in Judah. And sometimes it would be a, a good and a righteous king, but of course many times he would be just as bad as the king in Samaria. In the future, this will not be the case. They will have one king who will rule over all of them, and they will be one kingdom. And then we come to verses 24 to 28. We read here, we have more specifics as to who this king is. Verse 24, my servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make, I will cut, this is that, that new making of a covenant language, I will cut a covenant of peace with them. It shall be, this new covenant of peace shall also be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That covenant formula. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now this, this vision here, these, these promises um, portray the restored people of Israel using images that are, that are very familiar with them. King David, the sanctuary, the laws and, and statutes, the land. Th these are all things that are part of their history. Uh, some of the things are even part of their at least more recent Past. These are things that they're very familiar with. 
careful readers though, will recognize that it is not, of course, the historical David who shall return. And it is not the physical sanctuary that is to be rebuilt. And it is not the literal mosaic statutes that will be reinstituted. These, these images all find their fulfillment in the son of David, David's offspring, the one who's greater than David, the one who comes from David and who comes before David. They will find their fulfillment in the temple of God himself, not in a physical construction, not in a physical building, but in the temple that is God himself and the church and the new Jerusalem, which we find revealed for us in many places, but chief of them being at the end of the book of Revelation, and I think as well in the book of Hebrews. And of course, they find their fulfillment in the obedience of the people of God to the law of Christ. The Lord is telling his people that when he makes a new covenant with them, when he makes this covenant of peace, they will have one king. They will be united. They will be obedient from the heart. They will have a land. God will dwell in the midst of his people, and they shall be his people, and he shall be their God. He is, as the, the prophets often do, he is portraying, picturing, framing all of these realities that are to come in images that they clearly understand. And yet what we understand is that as the Bible uh, uh, unfolds is that the fulfillment of these things will be far greater than they had even anticipated. Again, I'm, I'm just reminded of, of the temple. The Jewish people were set on the physical temple. Right? It, it is these stones that have to be standing. And yet Jesus says that one greater than the temple has come. So these things will ultimately have a fulfillment that tie in with, these, with all of these images, but, but, but are greater. Um, the, the very uh, people of Israel the nation itself becomes expanded. Now there are nations, Gentiles, who are grafted in among the people of Israel. Now, now there are those who, who will come from the nations who are considered to be Levites, those who can minister in, in the presence of the Lord. Right? They, they, they often use these very familiar images to paint this picture so that the people of Israel can expect these things to come, these, these kinds of things, these patterns of things to come. And then yet when, when Jesus comes, we, we find that fulfillment to be even uh, far greater of an extent uh, than even we could first imagine. So here's just a, several texts uh, throughout Ezekiel. There, there are even more, even later on, and we could we could even look at the, 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 the images of this massive temple that will be erected towards the, the end of the book of uh, Ezekiel and some of the unique features of it. But um, I'm going to stop here and, uh, and then see if you guys have any questions or, or things you want to explore some more.